And welcome to Estradiol Illusions. We are back with another exciting, and I really do mean exciting this time. I mean it every time, though. Episode of Thomas the Tank Engine and Chill. And the reason I say it's so exciting is this is the first collection to be narrated by one George Carlin. And as a lo- lifelong Thomas fan, as a person who never really lost my love of uh, the chug life throughout my life it was such a treat to learn later in life that that george carlin was this really dirty comedian <laughs> that he was vulgar and that he had uh done all he that he had a career outside of the island of sodor we talked a little bit in the last episode about how ringo star was a beetle i mean i think most people would probably know him more from thomas the tank engine but uh most definitely yeah that's just me and speaking speaking of thomas the tank engine and chill it wouldn't be a true recap if we didn't have the lovely tara bell tara do you want to give us a little bit of an update as to what you've been doing since the last time we recorded well there is no update when we recorded last week that was the first tte in a while and we are in quarantine. We are still in quarantine, you know, trying to make it through. Um, there's, I, I feel like I've barely been outside all week, you know, but we're doing okay. Well, we got to explore a lot of exciting scenes, uh, places from Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, they were doing nice sightseeing tours on this tape. Yeah, we got uh, the Way se- more than we've done. We got the seaside, which, uh. I don't think had been featured. I did a little bit of research before we started. Trust Thomas, we had talked about in the last episode, which covered Better Late Than Never, about how those releases up to that point were following the... They were grouping them together based on their Shining Time Station release order of those episodes. So this just kind of appears to be uh, random. This would be from the third series. The series of, of Thomas episodes really only matters as it pertains to... Uh, the seasons tend to favor certain sets, so there's sets you won't see as often or that you won't see at all. Uh, after uh, certain periods, these these sets are very intricate. They get just, you know, they build them, they use them, and then if you've ever seen the way they record, it's uh, very difficult to store these places, obviously, and they probably have to reuse some of the stuff, but... Uh, just a little bit of uh, tidbit details before we begin. And uh, for those of you, I mean, if, you, if you're tuning in for, this is your first Thomas the Tank Engine and Chill, our order, uh, the way that we do things is uh, we go by the VHS releases, because uh, of course that makes sense for the year 2020, but uh, these episodes can all be easily found on streaming. Uh, Stars has a lot of them. Uh, they do them by the D- DVD. I don't know why you would do it by a DVD when you could do it by a much better form of physical media at the VHS. Like question. In, so I didn't realize that Stars even had those, so good for them. When they're doing their DVD release, are those in actual different order than VHS? Well, so some of the DVDs are in different orders. They group, like, so... I guess DVDs hold more also, so you can do more. Yeah, and then the DVDs also include songs. We're not at the point. Okay. We're not at the point yet. We're, so the way that we do this order is we're doing releases that are uh, 
we're doing the releases that contain all original episodes. So later on, because we have the George Carlin, they went back and they redubbed the Ringo Starr one. So there's ones Ooh. like a, a Big Day for Thomas is a DVD release that contains a lot of the Ringo Starr episodes that we would have covered in Thomas Gets mm. Tricked and maybe Tenders and Turntables. So um, Thomas and Friends Help Out is another one. That's not uh, a release that's covered in original episodes or that includes original episodes. I'm almost positive. So we've just been doing them by the original release order. Which so. makes sense. Thank you. I'm so glad my co-host approves. <laughs> so we start with... Trust Thomas. Now, before we get into just anything, I, I think it does, uh, it, it should be asked here, do you trust Thomas? No. Um, of any of the trains, I I don't know that I would trust any, I, I would trust Annie and Clarabelle. They're the only characters out of any human, engine, other type of vehicle that I think would actually tell me the truth in any given scenario. <laughs> You're probably going to like Toad when we get to him. Not not the Toad that actually features in Trust Thomas, but Toad, the uh, Oliver's break van, who really, really looks out for his character. But uh, we're, we're a little bit... Let's not get too far ahead. No, Oliver. We do have a new character in this uh, collection, Mavis, who we're about to get to, but let's try and stay on topic. One thing before we dive into Trust Thomas, if you notice, if you do, if you are somebody who, who grew up with these VHS releases... When the Thomas the Tank Engine logo would show, like in the the episode, I mean in the credits where he's driving past the windmill, riding past the windmill, he doesn't drive, he's a train. They used to for the Ringo Star releases would have Thomas in these big uh, puffy letters, these big puffy pink letters, which I always loved as a young little uh, gay closeted trans trans, trans girl. Um, just thinking about. You know, we're not going to—we'll unpack the, the feminism stuff in the Mavis episode. Let's do that. Uh, these letters in uh, the opening credits, though, are, are red. So uh, just just a little tidbit to note. So Thomas goes—he uh, he goes through a bunch of um, scenarios, like the—I the, guess the thing they're trying to use for, for the mountain setting. In the first scene, he's driving right by the ocean, which was used— in Toby's first episode, which is supposed to be a totally different spot, but obviously they are reusing and repurposing some of these sets. The official term for those is the Arlesdale Lake and Mountain Line, which we see, like, practically... I'm not even sure we do see it again, so just a little bit of note. So, Thomas is very happy, but Birdie is not happy because his road is a nightmare, and it's covered in potholes and he's angry about it and also thomas and birdie are apparently just taking the exact same route which seems a little uh redundant but uh thomas is i mean thomas is chipper birdie's angry and of course when these two intersect they have to mention that way back when they were on that they had a great race so Birdie's upset there's a missing tar car. Birdie also... So, Birdie has a pretty firm grasp of what exactly is, is a problem for his road. And that is the fact... It's it's not just the construction people's fault. It's not the island of Sodor's infrastructure problem. It's not the local government. No, it's the rail. It's trains' fault 
that there is a missing Tarkar that's been missing for a long time, and that's kind of the the mystery that anchors this episode, but fear not, it's kept in uh, Edward Station, which we learned towards the end, but Bertie's, uh, Bertie's very upset, if only, if only trains were more reliable, and he's, he's just painting with such a broad brush, basically saying all trains suck because somebody misplaced this Tarkar. And I just, I think it's probably a little unfair to uh, assign all of this blame to the, the engines when, I mean, it's clearly probably some foreman or a manager's fault that the Tarkar is missing. I don't really, it's not like an engine went out of their way to hide. We have the great Tarkar conspiracy where they hid it in uh, Edward Station to sow dis- discord between uh, the the trains and the buses. I, I don't know. They were trying to launch some sort of bus strike or uh, lead to the abolition of the, the roads because of the tar car. I don't know. Do you think that this was some kind of act of self-sabotage, Tara? Self-sabotage? I don't think so. So, per- so there's a little bit of continuity in this episode also. They are noting that... Percy has gone to work at the harbor, which we saw at the end of Thomas Breaks the Rules, where he had his his own great race with Harold. And that uh, that harkens back to the events of Tenders and Turntables when the uh, tender engines went on strike because they didn't have a tank engine to to shunt their cars in the yard. And now in this, we're seeing that James is all pissed off that Percy isn't around to do his work. What's kind of odd about this is that that's that's essentially the shunting freight cars at this point in the show in the continuity is Duck's job and Duck doesn't really I don't think Duck Duck is a very minor character in this episode which kind of begs the question what was Duck doing when Thomas is around available for uh to to take James's work Thomas has a branch line which he's supposed to be busy at and even Later, with no joke for James, this this issue pops up. Don't want to get too ahead as we get totally ahead. And then James James decides that he doesn't want to do his work. And for some reason, Gordon takes a particular special interest in James's ability to get out of pulling freight cars, which to me is kind of odd because we don't have... I think we only have uh, eight eight trains who are operating well donald donald is mentioned in this collection but he has not appeared yet donald and douglas have not been formally introduced yet in terms of production order donald and douglas had had appeared but because of the order of trust thomas the american viewers watching would have no idea who these people are yet which is certainly interesting so james decides that he wants to play hooky and I don't really know why Gordon would care, because it would seem, it would kind of track that if James wasn't available to do work, Gordon would probably have to do it. So why does Gordon give a shit? We we see this dynamic actually totally later in the co- uh, collection. It, it doesn't really make any sense, but not only is James pretending to be ill, it's really more that Gordon is doing the pretending all for him. He's the one who really sets this plot in motion. Have you ever gotten... Well, we recently just watched... Uh, Tara had not seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but we did see a situation where 
uh, one character played hooky and a character was really ill. But um, we didn't really see a situation where Ferris uh, pressured Cameron to be ill or to fake ill. Here we have a situation where Gordon is just saying, oh, James is sick. He, It's not a good day for James. Thomas is in a really good mood, and Gordon is basically like, it would be a good day for absolutely everyone, but not James because he's sick. Look at him, and James is just sitting there sad, saying like, oh, guess I can't pull my trains or pull my frick. Guess I can't pull my frick cars. And that's a problem because James had been addicted to the freight cars. I just, like, how do you feel about the way that Gordon behaved in this, Tara? Well, it's a weird situation because there's no reason for anyone to really be doing any of this. You've got Thomas in an uncharacteristically, like, really pleasant mood the whole time. (laughs) Um, Like, he's just happy-go-lucky and the fact that like Gordon who's so like old and stodgy in so many ways is good with James playing hooky it's weird it is also interesting that James is supposed to be the one to take the freight cars to the quarry because well Bill and Ben haven't been introduced yet but between them Mavis and Toby and also kind of Percy that those are kind of the people who deal most with the quarry at this point, not James, but little tidbit. So Thomas decides, oh, I'll take James's freight cars. This is, I mean, this who is made a, that decision? Don't. Where are the human beings to tell them what to do? Yeah, I mean, engines do get sick. We know that Henry needed gluten-free coal because he had a engine version of celiac to the old coal. And so, I mean, engines do get sick. This does happen. Thomas had been sick the uh, in the Runaway, which ended last collection. There are no drivers and firemen really factoring into this scenario, and this is a dynamic that will definitely come into play in No Drug for James. But here, there is, a, you, you know, if that episode was called No Joke for James, this episode could really be called Plenty of Jokes for James. Because he's just sick, nobody gives a shit, and Thomas decides that he's going to take the freight cars, and he's going to take them onto this this line of the track, which has this just the most impractical and dangerous-looking ferry. I I remember as a child thinking like how do you, how do you get any tr- like what is the use of this ferry on the rail like it it makes no absolutely no sense because you you just you can't pull you can't pull anything that ferry is basically good for thomas percy and toby i'm not even sure it'd be good for duck who's a little bit bigger it looks incredibly dangerous and i also think so the freight cars they don't really discriminate between engines which it's kind of interesting in later episodes, Toby and kind of to a lesser extent Edward are shown to have remarkable pull over the freight cars. Here they say, okay, James bumped us. We were going to get him back. We were going to fuck him up. But instead, one engine is as good as another. That just That's painting with such a deliberately broad brush. It seems just so offensive. So they push Thomas onto the... Whoever designed the ferry is maybe the worst engineer on the planet Earth. Yeah, they go to a place called uh, the Callan Pond, which I don't think there's 
absolutely. I, I really don't think this is seen in any other episode. And maybe, we don't learn this, and these are short episodes, but maybe Stradop Matt decided to do some terraforming and get rid of that pond area and, and, and fill it in, because I don't, I don't think it's good for absolutely anything. And Thomas has an accident, and Tara, Tara had noted that Thomas was uncharacteristically chipper in this episode. He remains uncharacteristically chipper after mm-hmm. getting into a serious, serious, serious accident. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's so absurd that nobody seems to give a shit, except for the toad who's looking at Thomas suspiciously. He eyes him suspiciously, and yet also decides to accompany Thomas. Yeah, he goes for a joyride, or as we might say here, the toad goes on a wild ride. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, longtime fans of the podcast, would get Tara's remarkable and totally on-point joke. Well done. So, there's this muddy pond. And we actually, two engines in this collection come very close to drowning. Mm -hmm. Thomas and then Toby. We never see an engine drown. That does appear to be a serious risk. Nobody seems to care. It's, um... It's an absolutely horrible situation. Duck, thankfully, is there. He's not there to help Shunt, but he is there to take the freight cars away. So good for him. Gets no speaking line in this whole collection. I mean, the most remarkable thing... Oh, and then as as Edward is taking Thomas, suddenly the Tarkar, the mystery... We've talked about a couple times how a lot of these plots have had like a first half and then a second half that are kind of disjointed and, and sort of the explanation for that can be found in the obvious answer of these this collection needed to have a plot. It needed to have something that, that anchored this and that made some kind of sense. Here we have a situation where the char car is really... is the catalyst through which buses are then told that they can, in fact, trust Thomas. So we have the title of this whole collection, justified through this missing tar car that by chance, Edward, who notes that it's been sitting in his station for a couple weeks. Edward's station is not a packed place. It's hard to imagine where this thing was put, that it was annoying nobody, was inconveniencing nobody, and nobody thought to mention, gee, what the hell is this thing doing here? What is this tar car doing here? And the, so tar cars don't have faces. The freight cars do... It, it begs the question, is the Tarkar able to say, hey, I'm supposed to go somewhere? I, I don't know. This, we, we're, we, get, we get no explanation for that. And we also really get no resolution to James's horrific uh, game of hooky. And that is noteworthy when you consider that no en- engines get blamed for a lot of things. Thomas Briggs, the rules is full of that. Engines where they have to apologize, where it wasn't really their fault. Here, James causes some serious problems, and nobody nobody gives a shit. No, Sardamat does not appear in this episode. He gets no punishment. They apologize to, to Thomas. And then Gordon. Gordon says, all's well that ends well. What ended well here? What is well in this situation? That no one died. Because that could have been very serious. Thomas could have drowned. And Gordon is just like, oh, it's all good. No, Gordon, it is not good. This is 
not good at all. In fact, this is a disaster. It is, it is, it is, as those three, as Henry Gordon James would say, it's disgraceful, disgusting, despicable. It's very, I just don't understand. And what, what is the toad doing there? I, I Having don't know. fun. So, uh, that's, that's, uh, this episode, uh, it took us a lot to get through this episode because there's a lot to, lots to unpack here. And it doesn't get unpacked, really. They, within the episode, nobody really explains why any of this has happened. But, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad that James got to play hooky. Do the cars get him back later? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the cars were on a rampage throughout this tape. No, no, they no. often are, but it seemed to be especially in this one. Yeah. It made me think of... Uh, I was wondering if they drowned, but uh can't wait till we get to Bullstrode later on. But as we move on to Mavis, do you think Mavis... Do you think the way that they cast Mavis was, was sexist, the way they portrayed her, Tara? Um... I mean, there are way more sexist ways to portray a female um, engine. Is she an engine or is she a freight car? I was also kind of confused on that She's a diesel engine. Okay, diesel engine, but she... I don't don't get what it is. Um, But as you had noted when we were watching it, she's got this very Jane Austen-esque personality where she's trying to be independent in her kind of career path that she's given. She wants to do her own thing. But she actually is shown to rely upon Diesel as well. So it's it's a strange dynamic. Yes, we see the return of Diesel. And not only the return of Diesel, but his, his weird... His theme music. <laughs> and it's just like, you, you don't see Gordon appear. Like So Gordon has his... Uh, I, I can't really hum it, but uh, Toby's got his... The... Gordon's is more uh, more fast-paced. James also has his... Uh, theme music is not totally uncommon. You just got Diesel's just got the shadiest music. It's so different, and they specifically say that Diesel oiled up to her. Yeah, and, and also, so Diesel was the first Diesel introduced. His name is Diesel, and he's got... He's next to Mavis, who's also a Diesel. Odd. Lazy characterization. I mean... These are characters who appear in the books, so I just, uh, the whole thing. He also got, uh, yeah, jumping off of what Tara said about Jane Austen, uh, Mavis has her own ideas. This is basically the plot of Pride and Prejudice. If she was romantically attracted to Toby, maybe a little bit more like Emma, I don't know. But we have Mavis, who is, uh... She also flounced about, which I think is probably a little bit sexist. Uh, she says the word fiddlesticks, which uh, is is a, a fun little Mavis. Uh, becomes kind of a tag- tagline. Mavis is not really a major character. We don't see her a ton, but uh, she's an interesting character. Mavis does not work for Shadopham Hat. Mavis works for the Quarry. And it's odd. Stop Hat is like a railroad tycoon. He's supposed to kind of own... He, he's kind of the, the baron of, of the island of Sodor. Well, he's a knight, too. Uh, <laughs> Sir Topham Hat. Uh, 
it's it's kind of and it's clear that that not all of the this is an island and yet there's parts of the island that are not under his control the books also so he's the fat controller in the books the way that he's called in england uh then there's the thin controller who is the head of the narrow gauge engines scarlo e sir handel peter sam those kind of people and then it, there, there is more of a hierarchy in the books. Is my point. They, they go. There's, there's. He's, he's also so. Sir Topham Hat is, is kind of elevated. A controller would not be uh, necessarily in that position, but he also does have to answer to people like the railway inspector, who we see later on as well. But I keep bringing up no joke for James constantly. So. We also have Snow and Mavis. Mavis is being, you know, kept in... It's like in Dirty Dancing, nobody keeps baby in a corner. Mavis is being kept in a corner, and that corner is the quarry. And the quarry has sections that are hers, and that there are Tobys, and Mavis is supposed to organize the freight cars so that Toby can come. That is complicated work, and I think it's difficult to... to sort of explain these territory situations in a show like this that's designed for children. It's hard to follow along, but I do think the show does a pretty good job explaining it. But, um, so Toby, Toby takes the cars onto his line, which is near a farm line, this little dip area, which, I mean, there is a common theme that engines are susceptible to weather. The rails don't always, uh want to work especially when it's when it's raining or when there's bad weather but uh toby has a situation where he's able to pause at a certain point and uh move forward but because of diesel mavis has been told that toby is not somebody worth listening to and it's odd that just after diesel was was sent packing there he is just around just hanging out in the books, though, Daisy was around. And I would have actually... I think this would have would have worked better because Daisy basically gets no role. I think she's really factors into three single episodes of the series. Uh, her, the, her first two originals and then one with uh, with Bullseye later, which is really upsetting because in the, in the books, Daisy's treated... Uh, really as the fourth engine of Thomas's branch line with Thomas, Toby, and Percy. So we have Diesel instead with his uh, offensive music. Uh, yep. It's, uh, it's a strange situation. And yet Mavis gets stuck at the crossing where the fireman has to... You know, we say that this is... Um, we talk about free will, the engines, versus their uh, driver and fireman. It's really the dri- Mavis's driver who decided not to listen to Toby. She may have cabin fever from being, like, stuck on her her section of the rail. But this is this problem is Mavis's driver's fault. Let's be serious. There is a very sexist line where... They're at the level crossing. They've stopped in the wrong spot, and now Terrence the tractor and Birdie, who were both in the area and both had to be stopped right then and there. There's an angry farmer who tells Mavis what she could do with her train. Yeah, I heard that and was like, wait, did they just say that? The farmer tells Mavis that she can take her train and 
if Mavis were a boy, we would assume to shove it up her ass, but she has two holes, I think. Oh, no. Oh, wait wait till we get to the diesel with the, the bowler hat who gets it stuck in his exhaust pipe with Stepney. Oh, God. Talk about holes and diesels. So they're stuck, and Birdie's just kind of hanging there, and, and Toby's kind of a dick about it. Toby can kind of come across like that. Toby is kind of like an old fusspot, as uh, Mavis would say, as Percy would probably say, but I don't know. He's kind of... It's kind of a... It's kind of an odd episode. What are, you, what are your thoughts on uh, kind of the way that this, this ended? It, this is an episode that's clearly... We started the we started this episode saying that a lot of these uh that these weren't following the Shining Time station, but they were rather just kind of picked in a random order. This is one that that really make makes the most amount of sense, coupled with Toby's tightrope, which happens right after. But as it relates to this episode, uh, what, what were your kind of your thoughts about the way that it was resolved, or in some ways the way that it was not resolved? Well, I thought it was interesting that Mavis, is, like, she's really humiliated by this experience, having listened to Diesel instead of listening to Toby, who had experience here. Because um, it says at the end, like, after Toby comes and helps them, she just scuttled home to the quarry and very notably didn't say thank you or anything to Toby. She just wanted to get out of the situation. Um... It's a bit ungrateful. Yeah, and I mean, this this whole episode was really Toby trying to help her. Mavis yeah. has a territory, and Toby's saying, "Yeah, you can come on my line, and you know, stretch your stretch your wheels. Nobody's nobody's trying to deny you that. But here, it's bad weather. Here's what you should do. Like and then, the, here's the physics of it. Here's what you can do to get around this situation. Now, okay, here's a here's a question for both you, Tara, and then also for the audience. Who is the real villain of this episode? Is it Toby? Is it Mavis? Or is it Diesel? And then kind of with an addendum, is it also the farmer who told told Mavis. Yeah, the farmer is definitely the real villain because, I mean, what is she supposed to do in this situation? He doesn't know that she got tricked into this situation, whether intentionally or not. Um, Diesel is the most at fault here, but that farmer didn't need to do that. Yeah, it's it's a um, it's a it's a tricky situation. I think Toby was uh, trying to do the right thing and was probably frustrated by this person who really just kind of wants to have fun maybe not at, at his expense but kind of at his inconvenience like life i mean he does kind of want things organized in a certain way which is uh something that people want and it does kind of take a person a little while to understand that uh you can have your things organized in a certain way, but if someone thing if someone does things slightly differently, that's okay. When Terra first moved in, I was totally like that, wanting my things in certain places. And it does take a bit of introspection to just kind of take a deep breath and say, Okay, you know, the, the glasses this this glass can be put in, in, in this cabinet, not that one and you know, the life in fact does go on. It's uh it's Toby Toby should take a chill. Mavis should take a chill, and Diesel should, uh, he should fuck right off. I'll, I'll just say that. And he can take his Dieselness and, uh, 
I'll show you, I'll show him where what he could do with his train. Mm-hmm. So I mean, this episode bleeds uh, into uh, Toby's tightrope pretty uh, pretty well. So we start the episode uh, th- from Percy's point of view, and Mavis is just kind of chilling at a p- part of rail in between two rocks, just kind of skeeving over there. And Percy goes over to say hello for no no real reason. I mean, the engines do need to interact with each other, but it's always just kind of interesting when an engine who's there ostensibly to do work is just kind of rolling up to say hello. That's kind of it. And uh, Mavis, Mavis is pissed and embarrassed, and she just wants to rest. She hates Toby. She, she hates Toby while simultaneously wanting to go on his line. You know, this episode is really like, you see a lot of plot lines where the younger sibling really desperately wants to go into the <laughs> older sibling's room. To- Toby's line is basically his room that Mavis wants to go play in. Yep. So, they're kind of trying to, I mean, the the main drama of Toby's tightrope is uh, siding arrangements. Where to put the freight cars. And Mavis, so... I mean, that that, that kind of makes sense if you think about, on a broader scale, the fact that moving freight cars around when you're a train is difficult because wherever you put them, you have to then get around them. You have to rely on a lot of uh, sidings, and uh, the tracks have to be uh, switched over. It's, it's difficult stuff. So being able to have a little bit more room to navigate, even if you go up to you know, the first crossing, that uh, that does make some sense. So, Mavis is trying to figure it out. But, she wants to go faster than maybe, we don't hear from her driver, but maybe she wants to go f- a little bit farther than even he's comfortable with. The driver also is, is totally uh, a willing participant in these scenes, though. Yep. But you have Mavis asking the freight cars to bump her. She wants to be bumped by the freight cars. Which they probably would have done anyway. Yeah, and that's just a recipe for disaster. And of course, there's the old bait and switch. Mavis turns out to not be the one pulling the freight cars. Oh, and and uh, most importantly, the weather has taken a drastic turn. And that's led to flooding, which apparently... Thir- flooding kind of becomes a problem twice in this episode. I think I think whoever designed the infrastructure on the island of Sodor needs to do a better job with the irrigation with the sewer system because that bridge was totally getting fucked. And the freight cars bumped Toby onto a piece of rail where he could have tilted over and died. He could have died. But he doesn't. He stays on the rails for what's got to be a long period of time. In fact, it's so long. Now, the uh, workmen do secure him to a nearby tree, also something that looks like it would have taken hours. But um, from the beginning when Mavis comes over to remove the train, uh, to remove the freight cars to pull Toby, from uh, that point from the beginning point to the point where she actually gets there, Toby's driver does clearly leave the cab. So I've always wondered, we have a few situations where there's an accident and it's often shown that the fire and driverman, uh, driver and <laughs> fireman, wow. Oof. Where they 
jump clear. They mentioned that the civilians, the humans, were saved. This guy just straight up abandons Toby. If you were Toby's driver and he was on the tightrope, would you just get off and leave? Ooh. The problem is in this, in Sodor, in this world, the drivers do have relationships with their engines. Um, it's like leaving a friend behind. I, I don't think it's the right thing to do. And so putting myself into that situation where like these are my friends, it's not just a piece of equipment, I would not want to leave. Um, it's it's tricky to say though because he was in such a precarious position. Like he almost fell off. Like would I want to die with the train if it fell? If you were the captain of the Titanic. That's true. It's true. Yeah, it's uh, this is a tough situation, but uh, Toby does get saved, thankfully. And even though Mavis really caused a problem, it's your Did she though? It was the freight cars. She they would have done it anyway. Fair. And I think Sir Top and Matt might agree with you because he doesn't seem to care. I mean, we see Sir Top and Matt, the total douchebag disciplinarian a lot so far we're three episodes in he has been really really nice he has not been mm -hmm. that big of a dick to any of these people which um is rare that's certainly uh, odd to see that he isn't trying to uh you know scapegoat the poor engines so this is kind of it that we see from Mavis for a while. She's often kind of a background character when especially when Diesel's need to be shown. Um I really the the main protagonist Diesel, especially for this specific era of Thomas, and I know he's got a huge fan base. So I'll give a little shout out to Boko right now. If you're a British British listener wondering why we're following this VHS tape order, I mean we would get we'd I think we'd probably get to Boko a little bit earlier if we did it the normal way, but uh, we just have to do it the VHS tape way. So, I've been uh, talking about the episode a lot, and uh, now we're here on uh, No Joke for James. And uh, it turns out there are a lot of jokes for James. So, this episode begins explaining, and we saw this a little bit in James Learns Lesson, back with the leather bootlace men. Who doesn't love a leather boot lace? James is a mixed traffic engine. That means that he can pull both freight cars and coaches. Do you think there's a f single train that can't pull freight cars and coaches? I don't know enough about how trains work, but my assumption would be that they can do whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, we've seen Gordon, regardless, regardless of the regardless of the VHS order, the series order, we have seen. Henry pull freight cars and coaches. We have seen, including the Flying Kipper. We have seen Gordon pull freight cars and coaches. Usually, he gets very angry. In fact, later he got angry when he had to pull freight cars. Thomas pulls freight cars and coaches. Duck pulls freight cars and coaches. Percy pulls freight cars and coaches. Edward pulls freight cars and coaches. Mavis actually is the only one who we have not seen pull coaches. I, And that's not her job. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't. I don't know what got into me, other than this sheer stupidity. So, James is a good en goods engine. 
he's being mocked because Gordon is laughing at his Napoleon complex. <laughs> and then James sees Tom. Now, Thomas is shunting in this episode, which doesn't make any sense. He has his own branch line. This this is clearly Duck's job. Clearly Duck's job at this point. But we don't see Duck. So that doesn't make much sense. None of it makes any sense. James is also proud of his red paint. I don't know. I don't really know why uh, anyone cares. James says that he's the pride of the line and the most useful engine, which pisses off Thomas. It pisses off Percy. And I don't really know if it pisses off Gordon, if Gordon's just like, you're so full of shit, dude, that he doesn't even care. I, I would probably lean toward the latter in that, that, that situation. Do you agree? Yeah. But... Sir Topham, James says that Sir Topham Hatt has plans for him. And those plans are to pull the... They're described as shiny new coaches. Now, coaches have feelings. They can talk. We don't see any Clarabelle and Henrietta all talk. Now, the difference between those... Henrietta doesn't have a face, and yet Annie and Clarabelle talk. Coaches that don't have faces can still talk, apparently. Apparently, freight cars and donut faces can't really talk. I'm just just acknowledging these things. Because Thomas brings the shiny new coaches. Are they newborn babies? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the thing that I, I, I didn't wasn't really clear coming away from this. I don't know. I also don't really know why James is shunting in the harbor. Which is very clearly Duck and Percy's job. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't... I, I don't want to I don't want to linger on some of this stuff, but uh, it, it it just it, it doesn't make any sense. So, Shamat apparently has plans. <laughs> James tells Thomas that the coaches are for him because Thomas has bring brought his goods train over, and James's driver says jack shit about this. Yep. Thomas's driver, on the other hand, is concerned and says, we gotta go, probably back to his own branch line. And then Gordon's driver, once they find out what has happened, the Gordon's driver's like, wait till Sir Dot Matt hears about this. So, three, three engines, three drivers, one is just completely absentee, and he happens to be the really convenient one to be absentee for. What do you think James's driver was doing? You think he was in on the job? gotta be like how he had to have known he was right there and he could have said wait we don't have this order and also sir Tom matt like this is a big railway if you look at a map of the lines of the island of sodor like the seaside area it's kind of unclear about whose turf that's supposed to be just just the way that the uh the books don't really make a big deal out of duck's branch line it really only factors in a few episodes, certainly not at this point. That area at Wellsworth Station is um, part of Edward's branch line, actually. That's interesting. Not not distinguished in the, the show, but uh, Tom Hatt's waiting there. It's got to be far from where his job is, but uh, he's waiting there to tell James that... Uh, he likes a good joke, but not when it causes all of his problems. I don't think Sir Tom Hatt does You have it. caused confusion. Yeah, you have caused confusion. And then James gets punished. 
and he he gets unpunished by doing his job, and then yeah. there's this railway inspector who's clearly just fishing for a personal ride on a train. That like that man is just <laughs> is there, and he's skeeving there because he wants he he wants to do his job. He wants to do a hidden inspection, like a health inspector likes to walk in and check check for the rat feces before announcing their presence. Mm-hmm. So that the yeah. So the guy was there looking for railway feces, and then <laughs> James's driver, his fireman is nowhere to be found at the end of this episode, but uh, James's driver's like, oh, it's just us, we'll have a nice pleasant ride, which I bet actually for the engines is pretty nice and pleasant, and actually it looked like a lovely, lovely trip. So the railway inspector, who, James's driver, who was absentee before, is smart enough to recognize... Mm-hmm. That this man is a railway inspector. So the guy is, James's driver is nowhere to be found where it's convenient. And then he's he's totally changing the trajectory of the episode in another part. Very interesting stuff. Do you think there's a James driver conspiracy theory, Tara? Probably. <laughs> so takes him back to the main station where Sir Dom, Sir Dom Matt is at a busy, I mean, it, it is a couple of days later, let's be fair. I'll be, we'll be, uh, we'll be fair. They go to, uh, Sir Topham Hatt is waiting at Knapford. And he's told what a good engine James is. Could you imagine the trouble James would have been in if he's like, yo, it's just me and my driver going for this ride. Yo, railway inspector, you can fuck off and mm-hmm. be late. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't seem like James is that deserving of praise. I mean, Maybe he was very pleasant. Maybe they had great conversation on the ride. Maybe he was... Ex- we don't get a lot of time to learn what these with drivers and the engines are talking about. How loud they have to yell while they're... <laughs> how loud does the driver have to yell to talk to James? Or can Jan- or can they hear with like the inner ear because the driver's sitting in the cab? Mm, interesting. That's a bit concerning to think about. I, I just don't know the communication there. So... We've got uh, we've got that si- whole situation. It's a weird episode. I don't totally know what to think about it, but uh, it's it's a um. Is there are there really no jokes for James? That's a that's a a, a philosophical question. We'll think about to to conclude this this particular episode. Do you think there's any jokes for James? I think he. I mean, did he learn a lesson here? Eh. When his punishment is, okay, go do your job. Yeah, I mean, he got and punished. And he gets complimented by Sir Topham Hatt at the end. Yeah, the end. I, I, James Learns a Lesson was the title of a different uh, uh-huh. different episode. There was no blue lace, no newspaper. I mean, like, lying about, I was told I can take these coaches, it doesn't really cause too much of a problem except for pissing off Gordon. Yeah, Gordon's driver... I don't think he had been more pissed on any any situation before, but uh, I don't know. It's 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 uh, these are interesting, complex questions that uh, they're important for the audience to think about. Oh, and then so this episode was started with uh, trust being a key theme. Trust is a key theme again. Percy's promise. I I. I'll admit, I have a very, I, I I'm quite fond of this episode. 
Percy, I I had a um, my grandfather for his entire uh, entire legal career, not entire. My grandfather for uh, as long as I was alive kept a toy uh, Percy, the kind that you like uh, pull backwards and let go and it it moves kind of like a toy car. Uh, he had one of those. It's now in his living room. Uh, I had a big toy Percy. The toy ones of practically all of them, but I, I really loved that Percy. I always had a soft spot for Percy. And Percy also, more, more so than probably any other engine, really exemplifies the underdog. He's constantly belittled, and he's just trying to do his best. And this is an episode where uh, he really does get put through the ringer. So, Thomas is really busy and Percy's jealous because he gets to take uh, any uh, he gets to take trains full of children to the seaside, the Vickers uh, Vickers Sunday School. Hopefully, nothing nefarious goes on there. <laughs> so they go and they seem to have what lo- what does look legitimately like a lovely day, except there's uh, there's some bad weather and Thomas Thomas has other things to do. So he can't take the train back. I don't really know what he was doing. It, it actually is not said what he was doing. And whatever it was, though, he was done with it by the end of the episode. Because <laughs> he, he appears at the end. Percy says that he'll take it. He's very happy. He gets to pull in at Clarabelle. Except there is shitty weather. And thankfully, though, Harold's on high alert. Edward's also around to tell him, like, you better watch out, dude. There's some trouble uh, coming. And Percy, the weather the weather gets really bad, and we learn once again that the island of Sodor has no real contingency plan for it. They're, in, <laughs> they're on the coast of England. That's like, that's like a... It should that, be raining a lot more in these episodes. Yeah. Could you imagine if, like, if Thomas Nagajan was set in Seattle and each episode was about how much the rain impacted their lives? Mm -hmm. He'd be like, who designed this railway? Are you kidding me? What a bunch of idiots. And Percy has a really, uh, he's got a, he's got a trouble. What's really kind of interesting is uh, as Percy gets into, like, the flooded parts, he's, the water level is a lot higher for Percy than it is for Annie and Clarabelle, and I think kind of the obvious answer for that is if the water level was uh, equivalent, it would be, like, halfway up their coach, and the kids would drown, and, uh, I'd also note that there is a caboose attached to this train. There's a brake van, even though... I cannot think of another time that Annie and Clarabelle were pulled solo and they had a brake van attached. And here's something that I want everybody to think about. So initially when Percy's underwater, the big trouble when you're an engine underwater is you're a steam engine and you have to, uh, no fire, no, no go. You're screwed. So you need to keep a fire and Percy's struggling to do that. And they're using a lot of firewood. And they're out of firewood. So what do they do? The driver and fireman get out and they go to tell the conductor. They need him to use his... They need to use the floorboards in the brake fan. But he had just swept them. And he had just swept them. Does the brake fan feel the pain as they're ripping up his floorboard? I mean, Jesus Christ. And also, wouldn't they probably be wet as well? 
Uh, indoors? Probably not. Okay. They, they'd probably be able to burn. Ah. Uh, and then there's Harold, who's flying above them. And he doesn't bring wood <laughs> or anything to help them out of the situation. Well, I mean, to be fair, let's let's be let's be totally fair. Harold is not a cargo. Harold is called upon to do a lot of like stuff like this later on. He doesn't have like cargo to like drop that shit, but he does drop a parcel through via parachute of hot drinks on Percy. And Percy's like, "Ow, he needn't throw things." Yeah, and like it, the parachute was covering his little steam valve. It looked kind of dangerous. It was not the best uh, delivery operation. Like, I'll give that Uber delivery one star. And like, are the like, how hot were these drinks that he was just flying around mm-hmm. with them, able to just? I don't like, how long is this ride, either, that they need the hot drinks? <laughs> it was very generous of the railway to do that. That's how you keep your workers happy. They need the, they need the hot drinks airdrop via helicopter. Yeah. I mean, good God. I don't know. I mean, Percy and Harold do kind of have, like, a special relationship akin to Thomas and Bertie. They had their race. Yeah. And we beat the helicopter on our own branch line. I miss... I think Ringo Starr does a better Diesel, and he does a better Harold as well. Not that George Carlin is a bad one, but... They're kind of like a... Well, well, Percy. Was that a good good Harold impression? Mm -hmm. Nice of you to drop in. I like when Harold meets Rusty later on. So, um... And there's also, there is a lot of emphasis being placed on Percy's promise. Yeah, as if, like, this is your job, dude. I I wouldn't call it so much of a promise. I would, like, give Percy a lot of credit for his ability to weather the storm. He does a lot of, uh, that's some tough, that's some tough shit. I, I think we should give him a lot of credit for his ability to weather the storm we don't hear any complaining from Annie and Clarible though and they do like to complain in other episodes so I think they also should get a lot of credit they're not mentioned and the poor brake van missing you know missing limbs missing boards this is some serious shit Mm -hmm. so Sir Dobbin Matt's there he was riding around in Harold the helicopter which that's very impractical from a helicopter standpoint. Helicopters do not take on a lot of weight, and he is not, not a thin guy. Those are a lot of hot drinks that Strap Matt took up with his deciding to come along. Not to mention, I mean, he's hovering below. He could have. He could have. It's dangerous stuff. So he keeps his promise. Harold is making fun of Percy, saying that there's, uh, you know. Percy's obviously a better submarine. And, uh... Stratmat kind of, like, makes a joke. Like, I don't really know what you guys get up to. Like, I don't really know what your beef is with each other. But he's he's laughing. And, uh... It's some, some funny stuff. I, I think this... Ep- Did you like this episode? Yeah. Very action-packed. Yeah. Suspense. And let's not forget that Sir Topham also says, You're a really useful engine. Like, yeah. there's compliments flying throughout this episode. Usefulness is a uh, 
really something that 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 is uh, there's a high premium place like yeah whoever wrote this had clearly read a lot of Karl Marx use value actually I mean let's just do a basic Marxist equation engines are constantly threatened they're saying you'll do a useful you have to do a useful job or we'll introduce the exchange value being a diesel yep. to come in and do your work for you we see this a lot later on in particular because the engines are, are afraid and they're being told, if you don't do this, we'll get a diesel. And diesels do it better. They have higher use values. Anyway. So we come upon an episode that has absolutely no use value. One that the Reverend Audrey himself was a known just absolute he drank the haterade on this episode. And at this point, it is worth noting that we are well... There are these... They come in these little uh, rectangle, t- tiny little books with great great artwork. The, the, Thomas, uh, the Thomas stories, uh, first written by the Reverend and then by his son, Christopher. They're lovely. I really, I really enjoy them. They're in my... Uh, Parents, parents' garage, along with my comic books that I really want. <laughs> that's, that's an aside. <laughs> They're fun stuff. So, but we're we're really early on in the series. So most, I think, practically all of these, not a hundred percent. There's probably a couple that aren't directly based off the stories, but this is really the 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 most noteworthy that wasn't. And I haven't said the episode yet, but. Of course, we are talking about Henry's Forest. <laughs> what every train needs. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. Edward has a station. Gordon has a hill. Henry already has a tunnel, but he also needs a forest. That everyone knows is his thing. They do. And yet, at the same time, Terrence, Trevor, who hasn't been introduced yet, at this point in to American audiences at least um, I also don't think to British uh, British audiences either we don't know who T- Trevor is but apparently many years ago and this is another thing Henry's Forest establishes we talked about this a lot last episode about how long these trains had been there Henry's Forest establishes that they had been around for a very long time and Henry just loves his special place and his driver explains it. He says, it's peaceful here. Well, you know, you're a train. You're not supposed to be peaceful. You're supposed to go choo-choo. <laughs> so he goes there and he likes it. This is another episode where you've got, you know, the, maybe not the first half, but just kind of the introduction is uh, kind of nonsense. And there's no, um, there's no real reason that he would stop other than he is you know so the reverend audrey's big problem with this episode is that there's two reasons one is that engines really don't stop on the line that's dangerous we've seen er earlier episodes get in uh you're not supposed to you're not supposed to be in a position of uh blocking the line and yet they do, for no real reason, other than it's peaceful. And also, so last episode we talked a lot about Percy's fire. 
engines are steam engines. Steam comes from a fire. It's not really all that safe to put a steam engine in a forest. forest. Not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. And just to issue a correction on uh, a fact, uh, Trevor would have, at this point, appeared to British audiences, but not to American, which is interesting. Not to many Americans, especially ones who weren't keeping up with Shining Time Station, so we'll just uh, mention that. The drama of this episode comes in when... There's a big storm, and the engines are all in the main shed. Which is kind of interesting. We don't have any in this episode of Thomas, Percy, and Toby on the ranch line shed. They're all in the main Tidmouth shed all together. I didn't see Duck in there, though. And they're upset. And the engines, I don't know, they're kind of they're nice and dry. They're all happy. But Henry... I mean, Henry is the most clinically depressed of all of the engines. Just, just naturally. And he's a wine. He's probably gay. You think Henry's gay? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, Here we learn he's also a hiking forest gay. That's true. Yeah, he's like a woodland gay. Mm -hmm. And yet, I mean, that doesn't really jive well with how whiny he was with the gluten-free coal episodes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe he's a Portland gay. He may be a Portland gay. This makes sense. Henry is a Portland gay. He is capable. He's outdoorsy, but he'll be depressed if you didn't bring your recyclable bag. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm glad we cleared that up. So the forest is a total train wreck. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> that was an un- unintended pun. So it's a mess, and people are upset. Donald too has not appeared yet to American audiences. I think he has appeared to British audiences though. He- oh wait. He did appear briefly in Thomas Comes to Breakfast, which is out of place, totally. But, at the same time, he hasn't had his uh, introduction, or the deputation. Or, as Percy would say, a depot station. So, the wind knocks down the trees. They clear it up. Henry is depressed, but grateful that the wood was able to be turned into furniture. Yeah. I mean, he was trying to find the bright side here. Always look on the bright side. And then, so Toby Toby is going to the shed, and he's going backwards because he needs to talk to his straw mat. That's probably the only reason he's going backwards. And straw mat says, you look glum, Toby. And Toby's glum because that forest was Henry's forest, mm-hmm. fuckers. It was Henry's. Toby... There's just some, like, Thomas' tank engine, like, Bechdel test. You've got the two people talking about another engine who are just really upset. So they plant some new trees. Oddly enough, it's Henry's forest. He does not really take point on the tree yeah, planting. Yeah, he was too depressed to actually he, help. Yeah, you've got Terrence, who gets a speaking role here. I was kind of surprised by that. And a rare speaking appearance. I, I, I could be wrong. I don't think there's another instance where Terrence addresses a tender engine. He's really like only interacts with Thomas. And he's like, here where it's gonna it's gonna look better than ever. And then Henry, by the end of the episode, is back to his uh random uh hanging out. And if you're just quiet enough, 
if you're just quiet enough, you could hear the sound of children laughing. In the forest. Was this like a Midsummer's Night Sodor? I don't. I, what What is the What is the point of this episode? What do you think the theme of Fenris Forest is, Sarah? Ah, uh, little depressed Henry needs his forest. It's just like one of those things where it's and like why who who wrote this? Why would you write this? Now, the the creator of the Thomas Tank Engine series, Britt Alcroft, has been very defensive about it. Why? Well, because she got shit on by the writer of the books. Yes, but why be defensive? What is there to defend here? Well, I mean... It was out of place. So, Henry Linger... Let's just play Engine's Advocate for a second. <laughs> There are other points, particularly in the Diesel trilogy, where we noted that the engines are sitting around talking to each other, organized in a way that doesn't really make it. Like, we would be lying to ourselves if we said that Thomas the Tank Engine, like, like really is designed to follow the rules of trains. We have absurd races. It, it, a lot of that is nonsense. But it's, it is it is kind of supposed to operate within the accepted guidelines of railroads. This doesn't. In fact, I said to Tara, I was like, this is really the worst episode of the ones that I really knew growing up as a child. And then the Alec Baldwin era, probably, or we talk about the pre-CGI era. We haven't mentioned CGI yet. Rusty and the Boulder is is Rusty and the Boulder. Like it, it's hard to put Henry's Forest to too much shame for its sort of depressing, wishy washy moviness when Rusty and the Boulder exists, which is just the absolute dumbest episode ever made. This episode, though, uh, uh, it's a train wreck. But the children were laughing, so uh All is well. All all's well that ends yeah. well. Anyway. We reach the final episode of the collection. Trouble with mud. Which is Okay, so we've spent this is the fifth tape. Maybe even the sixth tape. We've done a lot of tapes here. And I think this is the sixth tape. Hang on. Thomas gets tricked. James learns a lesson. Tenors and turntables. Better late than never. No. Thomas breaks the rules. Better late than never. This is the sixth question. This is our sixth episode. We spent a lot of time with Gordon. Does Gordon seem like a guy who just wants to roll around in the mud? No. No. He seems way too, like, pristine. Yeah. Gordon is totally fine being, literally, he says he closes out this tape with dirty or clean, I'm a famous machine. You're not going to be famous if you're dirty. Well, yeah, so Gordon is arrogant, but he does not like playing in the mud. It's ridiculous. This is absolutely absurd. It's asinine. It makes no sense. And yet, there's a sign do you think there really needs to be a sign that says all trains must wash down daily? Apparently they're just for him because no one else has a problem with it. Yeah. So 
Gordon and Thomas have like a little bit of a back and forth, despite last episode, I mean last collection, they were just having an alliance. Now they're not really antagonistic in this, so I, okay, let's let's not let's not make let's not make mountains out of Gordon's hills. <laughs> a bad pun. Good uh, pun. So Gordon's dirty and <laughs> he goes to get a bath and all he does is he sprays mud that looks a lot like poo all over James who had just gotten his bath and rather than get clean before he needs to pull a train he has to be late because James needs to be cleaned again and Sir Dot Matt looks at him and says look dude you ain't pulling the express looking like that you're an embarrassment you are a disgrace so Henry will pull the train Henry Henry's just sitting there being like oh I'm all clean. I got my best fedora on. I am ready to pull the train. So he's got to pull. Uh, oh, and he doesn't like, he really hates his bath. He's saying, mind my eyes. So he's all upset. And as a result, he's told to push freight cars, which I think, hang on a second. If he's pulling freight cars after pulling coaches, does that mean he's a mixed traffic engine? The episode doesn't make clear if he's a mixed traffic engine. I don't know. This whole thing's a train wreck. He's abusive to the freight cars. Maybe that's why the freight cars are just like, let's fuck up these engines every time they get. Every chance they get, they want to be abusive. Maybe maybe that makes kind of a lot of sense if you think about it. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a strange situation. But James is told to pull the Express. And Gordon is just kind of around. I think he's... It's... It, basically implied that he's being punished and gordon is trying to help james and say you know it's raining it's slippery a lot of rain in this episode it's slippery you may need help up gordon's hill and james just basically is like fuck off dude i don't care and yet they go up gordon's hill and you think gordon would know a thing or two about gordon's hill what do you think tara (laughs) you think gordon would know a lot about gordon's hill yeah. Yeah. So, Gordon is just waiting for James to fail at the bottom. He's not doing anything else. James refuses him, and yet Gordon is right there anyway. Yep. Maybe the driver was like, tough shit, dude. Gordon's just going to be there anyway. Waiting just for you. Watching. Waiting for you there. to fail. You'll fail. I'll help you up the hill. So, gets him up the hill. Gordon's just chilling there. James can't get up. Says poop poop goodbye and baby poop. And then for some bizarre, bizarre, bizarre reason, Thomas asked her to drop mad if Gordon can pull coaches. Maybe that's the alliance. Thomas <laughs> asked her to drop mad if Gordon can pull coaches again. Why does Thomas care about that? It's very interesting. I think that's actually the alliance. Last last episode, we talked about, really, I don't see anything about the Alliance. Maybe we mm-hmm. just found our answer. Yeah. They've been very nice to everyone this episode. Well, except for the part where James fake sick to get Tom. Yeah. Almost yeah. drowned Tom. What would have happened to James if he had been pushed down that ferry? That ferry. And, and what happened to the toad? We don't see the toad anymore. Yeah. I don't know. What are your closing thoughts about this tape? Uh, it was, um, like, obviously we have a change of voice, but it was also very much a change of tone with 
everyone was kind of happy with each other. There weren't, yeah, there were still tricks, but they were kind of in good humor. No one really got upset. Thankfully, no one died besides two tricks that really could have been deadly. Uh, actually, there were a lot of mishaps in this tape. Yeah, it's, it's, we're in an interesting part of Thomas lore. So, two episodes were dedicated to a new engine. We did see Mavis's introduction, and, and that'll, Thomas gets bumped is next. Um, I, this dynamic will kind of continue, but we're in the pre-Bilbin, Donald Douglas, Boko, Oliver. We've, we've, this is basically the core cast, and we have a collection where it starts off with Thomas, introduces a new character, and then spends some time with the old characters. So maybe that's kind of why they were organizing the tapes. This is kind of a uh, holding, holding pattern that... I guess makes sense. I, I don't really. It's hard to hard to tell what what to make of it, but this is kind of. You got the core group. We've talked a lot in the past about how engines, uh, about how a lot of new engines are just kind of brought to sell toys. At least this time, nobody's really trying to sell us anything just yet, except. I mean, if uh, this is a podcast done by uh, two women, I obviously became a big fan of Thomas before I transitioned, but uh, not a lot for the women here. And I, I don't really, uh, I'm sure Mavis Toys sold to female fans of the franchise, but also in some ways kind of served as a great example of why this show was not really designed for women. Emily was introduced later on to kind of correct that, but uh, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting collection to start the George Carlin era, which does have I'm really excited for uh, a lot of these Thomas Percy and the Dragon Percy's Ghostly Trick, to bring in the narrow gauge engines a lot of fun stuff on the horizon and we are uh, very excited to be able to uh, be back. Quarantine has brought us, put us back on our regular Thomas the Tank Engine and Chill schedule. It's been fun. This was a, a fun collection. Let's hope that that tote got home safely. <laughs> I hope all of you, if you're listening to this while traveling, that you get home safely too. So uh, to uh, to end this episode, I want to thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time.